this morning, we're going to continue our Y'all Saints series. Um, and this is a kind of a sporadic series that we do at Oak Church, um, where we use saints uh, or the term saints to mean um, all the saints, all believers, um, the way that Paul addressed all the saints in Corinth uh, or all the saints in um, Thessalonica. So um, I say that to say, you know, when we talk about saints, we are all included in that. Um, but I will point out that Polly Murray is actually a sainted person. <laughs> she was sainted by the Episcopal Church um, and has her own feast day and everything, um, which, you know, it's kind of extra, but I think that's pretty Polly Murray. Um, so yeah, I, it is my great privilege to uh, continue this series and to um, help us to see the ways in which uh, her life um, and and likewise the lights the lives of all the saints um, can teach us a little bit more about God, um, and that's really the point. It's not that um, you know we don't want to worship other people. Um, but we do want to be instructed by them, uh, particularly those whose lives were quite remarkable. So um, if Jeremiah would read our scripture for the day, um, then we can get going. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had not known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored as sound as the other. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. I'm gonna see if I can figure out how to share my screen real quick. I'm so glad I'm not like an actual teacher these days. Ooh, because this is complicated. All right, can everyone see that okay? Okay, awesome. Um, so yeah, so this morning I have the distinct pleasure and honor to speak to y'all about Polly Murray. Um, who is a real life hometown saint of Durham. She grew up less than a mile from Oak Church, which is pretty remarkable in itself. 
um, neighborhood saint if there ever was one. Now, I think it was really funny that Chris uh, included this picture in the weekly email because I had already decided to put it in the PowerPoint. And I think that speaks to what I believe, this is my theory, it's untested, but I think there are, um, there are three stages of learning about Polly Murray for people who move to Durham. Stage one is, who is this person staring at me from every brick wall in the city that I have just moved into? Because um, that I think is our first introduction to Polly Murray for, for most of us who have never heard of her. You know, you're trying to go to the farmer's market and there she is smiling at you. Um, so step two, stage two, is you start digging into her life a little bit. Maybe you Google her or visit her Wikipedia page or if you're more ambitious, you read a book. Um, and you start learning about her and you realize that she was a poet, a very successful one, and a writer of um, a couple of memoirs and various articles and a very prolific writer. Um, you realize that she was an activist um, and a very revolutionary and successful activist at that. Uh, you realize that she was a lawyer and a professor of law. And not only that, but it was her legal reasoning behind both the Brown versus Board of Education case and the Reed v. Reed case, which means that her legal rationale was behind ending legal segregation on the basis of race and discrimination on the basis of sex. Um, and then you discover that she, after a successful career in, in law and in teaching law, she decided to, uh, or she, she felt a strong call to the ministry and became the first female African-American person to be ordained as a priest by the Episcopal Church. Um, and if you look at her sermons, uh, she was also quite a theologian. So uh, that's stage two, is you start to be overwhelmed by the number of things that this woman accomplished in her lifetime. And then stage three is that you think, how is it possible that someone who did so much and was so influential and brought freedom and justice to so many people, why has, why haven't, why is she not in our history books? Why haven't I ever heard of her? Why did I have to move to Durham and see her face on a wall to even know her name? Um, so it is, all of that being said, uh, it is my great honor and privilege to, to talk a little bit about Polly. And also as a disclaimer, there is absolutely no way that I could, um, speak about all of her accomplishments in in one sitting, let alone one sermon. Um, so I'm not even going to really try. Uh, what I'm going to focus on this morning is uh, the, the ways in which Polly's life reveals um, some insights that she had about God and can teach us a little bit more about who Jesus is, or maybe remind us a little bit more about um, who Jesus is. So before I go any further, I'm going to pray for our time together. God, thank you so much for the life and the legacy of Polly Murray. Um, I pray that her light would be, or her life would be to us a bright light that illuminates you a little bit clearer. 
And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So the first thing that I think Pauli knew about Jesus and knew about God um, is that God is an embodied God. Um, and for Jesus, that meant that he was and is um, embodied as a poor, marginalized uh ethnic and religious minority living under occupation by the Romans. It also means that, um, you know, Jesus, depending on who you ask, was kind of of dubious parentage. We were not, you know, people were not sure what was going on with that Mary and, and that pregnancy. Um, he was fully on the side and identified with and was one of the oppressed. Um, and I, I think that it's really easy for me and easy for a lot of us, especially those of us who live with a lot of privilege, um, to focus on Jesus, the triumphant, the, you know, seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, and, and that is true. That is true about Jesus. Jesus is all powerful. Um, but I think if we skip too quickly to that, or if we focus too much on that, we miss uh, some of the beauty of this earthy Jesus. Um, in this passage, I think uh, what I one of the things I love about this passage is that Jesus really radiates this quiet dignity and authority. Um, where I, I mean, I do not get the impression that Jesus is intimidated by the Pharisees or their questions. Um, he has a really grounded sense of who he is and what he has come to do. And he does not appear to have any time for legalistic nonsense. Um, I also love he's uh, he's got a little bit of um and maybe I've just been reading too much about Polly Murray, but I, I, I hear some shades of some legal arguments almost in, in his rationale. He's kind of backed the Pharisees into a logical corner where they either have to admit that it's okay for disciples to eat when they're hungry on the Sabbath, even if that technically violates some rules. Um, you know, they haven't violated the spirit of the law. Um, so they have to say that's okay, or they have to condemn both King David and the entire priesthood. Um, so he, he's got them in a bit of a tight spot there, logically. Um, and, and I love that. I feel like it's almost like a scrappy Jesus, you know? <laughs> he doesn't have, you know, he's very secure in his own authority, um, but other people don't necessarily recognize that authority. Um, and I think that that is something that Polly knew and that Polly identified with. Um, Polly Murray used to joke that uh, her family reunions look like a United Nations summit because um, she was of such mixed heritage uh, that they were all sorts of colors and uh, hair textures and, um, you know, of people whenever they had a family reunion. But this right here is Polly's grandmother who helped raise her, Cornelia Fitzgerald. Um, and Cornelia is special because um, 
well, she's particularly special to us because she is also a hometown saint. Um, she was born uh, as an enslaved person and lived out over in Chapel Hill um, to the Smith family. If you are familiar with Smith Level Road, that's the Smith family uh, of Chapel Hill. And um, she is the daughter of a wealthy white um, planter and, uh, and an enslaved woman. And uh, Sydney, uh, her father, um, his sister, uh, Anna Ruffin Smith, um, felt some kind of moral obligation to Cornelia and her sisters. Um, and even though the Smith family continued to keep them in bondage, uh, Anna decided that it was appropriate to uh, have all of them baptized. And so she would bring Cornelia and her sisters to the Chapel of the Cross on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill every Sunday. And they would be forced to sit in the balcony. Uh, and, and from there, they would take in Sunday services and became lifelong Episcopalians. Uh, and I share all of this to give you a sense of the depth of both the complexity and the trauma that is present in Polly's family history. I mean, this is her grandmother. This is someone who raised her. Um, and the, the remarkable thing about Cornelia and also about Polly is that she came out of this experience with a really strong sense of family pride and a sense of self. And, uh, and as someone who was able to embrace all of these pieces of herself, um, which I, I cannot even fathom that being possible. Um, but this is uh, Polly's ancestral family home. This is the house that her grandfather Robert built for Cornelia after the end of the Civil War. Um, and this is the house that Polly grew up in. Uh, and it's less than a mile from Oak Church. Um, and this is Polly's family. I really wanted to show you this mostly because it's such an adorable picture of her. Um, and I just couldn't help myself. But you can see uh, her with her aunt Pauline. Um, and the, the sad thing about this picture is that shortly after it was taken, Polly's mother died uh, quite suddenly and quite tragically. And uh, her father um, deteriorated physically and mentally to such, in such a way that he was institutionalized shortly thereafter. Um, and Polly was the only one of the siblings that was taken in by her grandparents and her aunt Pauline and whisked away down to Durham. The rest of the siblings stayed together and were raised by their aunt and uncle up there. Um, and Polly said uh, that the most important fact of her childhood was that she was an orphan. And uh, I feel like orphan is even an understatement. Um, I think that the trauma of that level of separation um, mixed with the, the the pride and the love that she um, was able to, to have being raised in Durham in that loving home. Um, I think all of that is part of who Polly is uh, and was. So um, I have, uh, I wanna let Polly speak to you a little bit about this and just because it's fun to hear her speak. Um, but I will, I will set this up just a bit. Um, this is a clip from, uh, on the road with Charles Kuralt from like the mid 1980s. Um, and it's, uh, so when Polly was, uh, 
when she was ordained, the first communion that she administered, which is a big deal in the Episcopal Church because only ordained priests can administer communion. So the first time she ever administered communion, she did it in Chapel of the Cross on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill where her grandmother Cornelia had been baptized. Um, and so this is her kind of reflecting on that and reflecting on her heritage. Do you feel uh, reconciled yourself with your own past? I mean, here, all of these cross currents of the violence and pain of the South uh, meet in, in you. <laughs> yes, I know. I've lived with it for 66 years. Uh, <clears throat> it's like riding wild horses. Uh, I am tempestuous. I am volatile. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of nervous energy. My friends say you wear out six people. Um, I have a terrible temper. I call it an Irish African temper, of which there is no worse. I am sensitive, aggressive, shy. I'm all these warring personalities trying to stay in one integrated body, mind, and spirit. Uh, and there are days when I bless my ancestors. <laughs> and there are other days when I look in the mirror and I said, what hath God wrought? <laughs> I believe in reconciling the descendants of all the slaves and the slave owners of the South. And by now, the genes are, have recirculated so that I suspect if you put all of the people of the United States end to end, according to true line blood relationship, we would all be in a long line. All of us. This is the fascinating thing about the South. Black, white, and red are related by blood and by culture and by history and by common suffering. And so what I am saying is, Look, let's level with one another. Let's admit we are related. And let's get on with the business of healing these wounds. And we're not going to heal them until we face the truth. I love that 80s bop at the end. That's pretty great. Um, but uh, I really wanted you to hear Polly speak uh, partially because she speaks so clearly uh, and personally about all of these things and the challenges of being an embodied person who inhabits multiple marginalized identities at the same time. Um, and, and also because you get a sense of that like electric energy that she had. Um, but I, I think she has summarized uh, in that clip her, her life's work, um, this idea of integrating herself uh, in herself uh, and, and also using that experience as a blueprint for, uh, for all of us coming under that reconciling love of God. And, and she also clearly had a strong sense that the reconciling, uh, reconciliation and justice go hand in hand. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna tell you another quick story about Polly. Um, she, in 1940, so this is much earlier than that clip, um, but uh, she 
it was after she had graduated college, but before she had begun to pursue law. Um, she was living in DC doing community organizing and activism work and it was Easter weekend and she wanted to go south and see her aunts and celebrate Easter. Um, she usually did not take public transportation because she could not bear the uh, being on segregated public transportation. Um, it just was more than she could mentally and spiritually handle. Um, after being away from the Jim Crow South for so long. Um, but after changing buses in Virginia, she found herself uh, in a place where the only available seat uh, in the colored section of the bus uh, was broken. And so she and, uh, and her traveling companion, Adeline, uh, moved up one row very quietly just so that they could have a seat that actually worked on the bus. Um, and of course they moved into the white section and predictably the bus driver lost his mind. Um, now remember this is 1940. So this is way before the Montgomery bus boycott. Um, so she and, and Adeline had been following with great interest, uh, what was going on in India at the time. Gandhi was leading this nonviolent revolution against British rule. And so they decided in the moment to try out some of this nonviolent resistance. Um, and they decided to forego respectability and to peacefully allow themselves to be arrested um, for sitting in the, or for breaking segregation laws. Um, and the thing about this that I think is really remarkable in, now granted, it is a remarkable situation in and of itself, but as Polly is being escorted off the bus by a police officer, she turns to the bus driver and she says, you haven't learned a thing in 2000 years. And she writes that she said that to remind him that it was Easter. It was Easter weekend that they were approaching. Um, so Polly knew deeply that she worshiped a God who was on the side of the oppressed. Um, and she also knew that she worshiped a God who was um, transgressive. And, and I do not mean this, that God is sinful or Jesus is sinful. I mean, willing to violate what was considered proper or respectable. Um, and I think this is true of Jesus. And I think Polly uh, took great inspiration from this. Uh, you know, if you look at the second part of our passage for this morning, uh, Jesus walks into the Pharisees' house. He walks into the synagogue and right under their noses, he heals on the Sabbath. Um, if this is not an example of breaking an unjust law or using nonviolent resistance, I'm not sure what is. Um, is revolutionary stuff. And, and you can see where Jesus's priorities lie. He is not playing games with people's lives or their well-being. Um, you know, compassion and justice, Trump, respectability, and, um, and social convention. Um, and I think that this transgressive nature and this transgressive tendency that Jesus had, um, 
put him on the wrong side of very powerful people throughout his life uh, and even unto death. Uh, but that death leads to life and to freedom. So the, the final thing that I think that Polly teaches us about God is that we serve a liberating God. Um, you know, back in that first part of the passage, Jesus proclaims that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he has the authority um, to free spiritually, but also physically. Um, you know, he's dealing with, uh, with the, the very physical hunger of the disciples and a very physical ailment of this man with the, with the withered hand. Um, Jesus frees us from the powers of sin and death. And, and part of that cosmic victory uh, is a liberation from division. And, uh, and I think that that liberative spirit really moved in Polly's life and Polly's work. Um, she understood that liberation and reconciliation uh, go hand in hand, uh, that reconciling with ourselves and in ourselves um, and also reconciling with one another were, were essential parts of bringing about God's kingdom on earth. Um, and I, I love that she didn't advocate for some like anemic unity that ignored injustice to keep everybody comfortable. I think Polly was known for making people very uncomfortable. Um, she, she had a ministry of stirring the pot um, but, uh, I think the resulting community from being willing to be a little confrontational, um, Polly sometimes very confrontational, uh, and, and being willing to tell the truth, as she said, um, I think the resulting community is something that is a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult, but is also a lot more real. Um, and, uh, and is a lot more closely aligned with that beloved community that, um, that is only possible in Christ. Um, I think another thing that Polly reminds us of is that we need everybody. We need activists, we need poets, we need community builders and lawyers and priests all working for freedom. Um, God's spirit is working in and through each of us and all of us. Um, even though we are very broken vessels, I mean, Polly was really open about her flaws in that clip. Um, but all of these different roles and all of these different gifts are needed um, for God's liberative work in the world to be accomplished. We're all necessary. No one is more or less important than anybody else. Uh, and God intends for us to treat one another that way. Um, I could literally talk about Polly Murray all day, but I'm going to make myself stop here. Um, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Uh, and this is the, um, it's the, the prayer that, um, that the Episcopal Church is the collect that the church wrote to be prayed on Polly Murray's feast day every year. And so I thought that this would be a really fitting prayer to close our time uh, thinking about Polly Murray's life and work. So please join me. Liberating God, we thank you 
for the steadfast courage of your servant, Polly Murray, who fought long and well. Unshackle us from the chains of prejudice and fear that we may show forth the reconciling love and true freedom, which you revealed in your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.